Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Dave Wakeman. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out how you and your organization can partner with Booking Protect to deliver a better buying experience for your customer, create more peace of mind in their purchases, and you can create a new revenue stream for your organization, visit www.bookingprotect.com. That's www.bookingprotect.com, the global leaders in refund protection. And while you're there, make sure you check out their blog. Uh, recently, we have been starting to put together a lot of content that's focused on helping you sell more tickets, especially online. Um, how to better use your data, uh, which is an important part of any partnership with Booking Protect. Um, how to drive renewals, referrals. Um, how to create long-term customers to get people to make extra purchases. All kinds of stuff about the bottom of the funnel. And we have a lot of new and crazy um, and great content ideas that are coming up. So check them out once more. That's www.bookingprotect.com, the global leaders in refund protection. My guest today is somebody that you are probably familiar with, a guy called Eric Fuller. This is his third appearance on the Business of Fun podcast, and I wanted to have Eric on for a shorter episode than we have normally had because we are doing something a little bit new and unique uh, called the On Sale Academy. And to launch the On Sale Academy, I wanted to have Eric on to talk about some of the top issues going on in tickets right now. Uh, we cover things like consolidation. Um, we, can tell, we, we talk about margins and platforms in the secondary market. We talk about the challenge of attendance, um, pricing, demand generation. We talk about um, some of the trends that have made bots irrelevant but have turned over into kids using uh, technology to act in the way bots maybe did before and the cha challenges and the implications that's going to have on the market. We focus on StubHub. We talk about vivid seats. Uh, we talk about distribution of tickets we talk about maintaining customers we go over quite a bit of things and this is all in support of this new project that we're trying out called on sale academy uh, there's three dates that we have planned so far uh, the first date will be 8th of may in new york city on june 5th in los angeles and then on June 10th and 12th in Washington, D.C. That coincides with the FTC's uh, ticket hearing on June 11th. So that's uh, May 8th in New York City, June 5th in L.A., and June 10th and 12th in Washington, D.C. Um, you will be able to find some information about that on my website. That's DaveWakeman.com. You can email me, Dave at DaveWakeman.com. We will also get an On Sale Academy website up and running over the next few days. Um, but we want to get these events out out there to you. Um, and we got ahead of ourselves on the website. But the, so it goes. The content's still going to be great. We're going to talk about strategy We're going at these events. We are going to focus on marketing and selling. We're going to focus on understanding opportunities, the challenges in the market, all kinds of great stuff. Um, and that was sort of the incentive to have Eric back on. So here is my conversation with Eric Fuller on the Business Fun Podcast. 
I want to welcome back for the third time my friend Eric Fuller to the Business Fun Podcast. This is a special edition, special edition. Eric, what's up, man? Hey, Dave, good to, good to be back. There's a lot going on in the world that uh, I thought we should talk about. Yeah, and well, yeah. let's warn people in advance that we are talking not just to talk about the state of the world of tickets, but we are actually going to go out and we're going to do some events, right, where people have a chance to uh, learn about strategy, marketing, sales, revenue generation with us, right, from us, Um and they're going to be three different things on in three different locations on three different days. Um, the first May eighth in New York City. Um, that's going to be all about the premium and business to business ticket selling process. Uh, L A on the June fifth. Uh, that's going to be about strategy and marketing. And then D C on June tenth and twelfth. Which, if people are not aware of, June 11th is the special FTC hearing on tickets. So on the 10th, we're going to do something special here in D.C., like a little um, you know, pre-event thing where we can work on talking points, uh, prep you about uh, what's going on, uh, all that kind of stuff like that. And we'll probably have like a little ga- network gathering and drinks and dinner and stuff. And then on the 12th, we'll do a post-mortem and we'll come up with some action steps, some ideas for how to take action based on what happens in the meeting on the 11th. Um, so I want to warn people about that and there'll be more stuff about that towards the end, but Eric, now that I got that out of the way, let's talk about some ticket stuff because this is all relevant to everything we've been talking about. Um, where should we start? Well, well I, I, I look forward to it, but I also think we should remind our friends, we are going to call this the on sale Academy. Yeah. And that way they can find it and they can find us and, and we will have that up online at on sale Yeah. Thank you for uh, that. Along with current information about events. Yes, so, that, that's exactly uh, right. So this, this is these first three events are going to be part of a larger um, kind of pl- uh, plan that we have. Um, but you know, so the first three are there. Um, we're going to get onsaleacademy.com up and running over the next few days. Um, but now that we've got, now that we've promoted ourselves a lot, uh, or at least more than I usually do, let's talk. Let's give some people some value so they'll know why they should pay attention to the On Sale Academy. Um, let's start with the first thing, which is um, there's a lot of news lately going around about platforms, the, you know, where people are selling tickets on the secondary market specifically and the fees that they're charging brokers, um, which is important to brokers, but it should also be important to consumers because it is going to either increase the uh, cost of tickets for people. It's going to hurt the broker's margin. And so it's going to make it more difficult for brokers maybe to invest in tickets and sell them. And we know that so many tickets are being driven through the secondary market that that's going to hurt the primary side because if the brokers aren't necessarily investing in inventory, there's no guarantee that anybody's going to invest in the inventory. And we could see a cycle where we have less and less attendance, which is also on the list. Um, what say you on the topic of platforms and fees? Well, I, I'm fascinated by what I'm watching. And sometimes it's really, really useful to be a little bit older. So um, StubHub really uh, lit the fuse on this one. StubHub, for those of you that don't know, uh, eBay is having some uh, pressure brought by activist investors to spin off their classified ads division and to spin off StubHub and to focus their resources more on the, the primary platform uh, of eBay. And, and probably in, in conjunction with that, the new management team that's running StubHub is looking at maximizing margin and profitability uh, for the purpose of making StubHub a more sellable uh, entity. 
Now, curiously, uh, eBay reported their earnings uh, yesterday or the day before yesterday, and for the first time that I can recall, StubHub sales were down. They were off 3% uh, quarter over last year's similar quarter. Um, so that's not the most auspicious start to whatever the preparation plan is to, to gussy up StubHub for sale. But um, what StubHub did was a really curious thing. They didn't move the price that they charged the sellers up uniformly. What they did was they said, for those of, uh, those of uh, the brokers that are on our platform that are top sellers, selling more than I think it's 250000 a year across StubHub, uh, we're not changing your fees at all. Whatever we've been charging you, whatever your special negotiated rate is with us, stays in place. But anybody beneath that mark just got bumped from between from from 10 percent uh, uh, or whatever other deal they may have had in place to somewhere between 13 and 15 percent, depending on what it is that they were selling. And that's a substantial move in a marketplace where margins are getting crushed by auto pricers. Um, and it's interesting to me because there are two truly uh, important trends that are going on in the world of retail right now. One is a tremendous shift of margin away from brokers and to platforms. Uh, now, StubHub, with their new fee structure, may be looking for as much as 35% uh, return on any sale they make. The broker supplying that ticket might be lucky to get 4 or 5%. And at some point, you have to wonder why anybody wants to carry the inventory risk uh, where if something doesn't sell, they get blown out, or if it sells at discount because something's overbrokered, they take a pretty steep loss against the prospect of a fairly skinny margin um, uh, if they're successful. And and what that's going to do is polarize, in my opinion, the marketplace. It's going to it's going to leave the couple of mom and pops that are just you know pretty solid gamblers and willing to play the game or work really hard in place. And a lot of giants. So this is going to become a game of big, big suppliers and big markets. Yeah, and At the oh, other. Yeah, but, I'm sorry. No, At no, the other end of the spectrum, there's this other thing. There's this other thing going on that's brand new. I've never seen before, and that is that um, there's all these highly tech savvy kids that came up flipping sneakers, and. And they were buying, you know, one or two or 15 pairs of Yeezy sneakers or Air Jordans and turning around and selling them on StockX and making some money. And, and those margins have kind of gone away. And they have migrated in a massive group into buying and flipping tickets. And they're buying and flipping tickets in a way I've never seen before. They've got very organized groups on uh, Slack and on Discord where they're all talking to each other and actually sharing information and strategically deciding that yesterday, I think it was by Lizzo. And then they come in and it's, it, it's a thousand of these kids and they just pound these shows and, and they get in with the tickets that they have and they blow them out on StubHub typically, and they make a dollar, but they make a dollar across, you know, 400 tickets and they're happy. And then, you know, they move on and they just buy them and burn them and buy them and burn them. And so it's really curious that the, the major play in the in the secondary market seems to be shifting towards a lot of a lot of little super organized players and a lot of big old guys. So, 
No, it, it's very interesting. And the, the point that I think really is important to me is the idea of risk, right? Because what we see over and over again is that where there is not an opportunity to achieve a return on investment, then the money's going away. And the sneaker example is great because I had been watching that same thing, right? Because all the sneaker press, um, I forget with Matt, uh, I forget his last name, was talking about how all of these shoes have gone away and it's because the demand wasn't there. And then you do, you see them, you know, they'll pop up into the groups and they'll talk about their chats. And I'm even in one that's through Gmail where they're talking about flipping the tickets and right. And everybody kind of like works together and it almost acts like bots used to do when uh, our our buddy Ken Lawson used to do the stuff with wise guy, except for instead of bots, which you could legislate against or in theory um, fight back against, how can you fight back against a thousand kids working together? It's collective action. Well, and see, and, and, and you, you're in front of me because that's the point that I'm working towards. There's so much attention at the primary market side about fair distribution of tickets uh, and technology slowing down any, any type of organized um, ticket harvesting. Uh, but it isn't contemplating what happens if the uh, tickets aren't being bought by a single group with a lot of money and a lot of technology, but instead by a loosely affiliated group of a thousand actual consumer-looking, inside-the-limit-buying, hand-purchasing people that are super swift with technology and have their Twitter feeds on all the time and their alerts on all the time, and really fast uh, fingers and you know good eyes so that they can read their cell phone screens. And as soon as something goes off, they all hit it, and it's gone. And, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, except it's going to upend the dynamics of ticket pricing. Right, and then somebody's going to come along and be like, well, we have to stop this. And But it, it really highlights a challenge that I probably beat as a beat to death, which is the idea of you have to to figure out a way to generate demand and try to sell the tickets earlier in the process before any of these things become necessary, right? Because there is a robust secondary market now um, that's bigger than it's ever been because it fills a need, right? These kids, they are able to hack into and and grow together um, these, for lack of better terms, bot-like organizations because there is a need that they are filling, and, you know, it goes back to the idea of demand generation, right? And in a lot of cases, on the primary side, they're not doing a very good job of demand generation so that it gives rise to something like the kids, you know, collectively working together or the bots or the secondary market going crazy or another topic that I made mention that I wanted to mention was consolidation. All of these things are happening because of uh, the poor ability to, to generate demand and price effectively from the jump. Uh, I, I think all of your points are accurate, but I think there's one more issue that I'm not seeing discussed anywhere yet, and, and, and I'm really actively studying it now, and that is that the ticket sale models that we still use are the models that we've been using since then, you know, people lined up in front of the box office to trade, you know, rocks and chickens, Right. Tickets go on sale at a particular time, first come, first serve, and they're gone. And and what you're seeing now is the what what happens when hyper technology sensitive, organized, collaborative groups come in and and are capable of doing something that 
one-off consumers can't because they're not paying attention to when something goes on sale or they're busy in their real lives and they don't want to spend 25 minutes pounding a computer. Um, that brokers don't do because brokers are naturally not collaborative. They, they all believe they have an edge and don't necessarily want to share it with their competitors, even though it's a small world and nobody has any specific special information. But, but these kids are just openly, specifically, everybody buy this section of this show at this time, go. Okay, now here's a link. Use this. Go. You know, and they just all, they, they, sharing is natural to them. And if they don't get this one, they'll get the next one. But they, they recognize the power in organization. And they also recognize that you don't have to buy something for $100 and sell it for $200 to make money. You could buy 100 things for uh, $10 and sell them for $11 and come out the same. And, you know, they've got the time. It's just you charge the debit card, get the money back from StubHub, charge the debit card, get the money back from StubHub. So yeah. I think it's ultimately going to upend the entire way the tickets are distributed, but it's going to take a while because a lot of investment uh, uh, right now uh, from primary platforms uh, in the way they've been doing it. Uh, and it's going to take some time for them to catch up to. Maybe they're, they're just completely new models we need to think about. And, and this is telling you, this is the, the next generation telling you that the old way of doing it isn't going to sustain uh, forever. Well, it comes down to the idea, and this is an overused word of disruption, and how if you aren't constantly disrupting yourself, then somebody else will. And this is pretty much a prime example of that. And what, what you talk about with the ticket sales model being kind of outdated, um, this is something if people listen to the podcast regularly, they may have heard uh, a guy from the UK, a guy called Richard Howell, talk about. Um, and he, he, you know, he's spot on when he when he says too that the the way that we sell tickets, especially from the primary side, is really one of the only instances where it's designed to what's best for the people selling the ticket, not the pe- the customer. And I think that when you see models like with bots or with kids acting collectively, um, you know, jumping in and serving as middlemen, then you have to go, it does beg the question of, well, what are we doing wrong? And I think that's like really the, the question that we should be looking at because I believe it was uh, Stephen Glicken was on a couple weeks ago talking to me and he said it was like a huge number, like 50 something billion dollars of tickets that go unsold around the world every year. I mean, that's a huge number. I mean, as much as anything, we should be focusing on how we can sell more of those. Well, sure. I mean, that's the low hanging fruit, right? There's a lot of focus on the fight for the high demand stuff, but you know, more energy on, on, on trying to move the things that aren't sold is, is just uh, margin that's being thrown away. Yeah, but there's, I want to talk about the secondary. I want to talk another minute about the secondary market though, because there's another thing happening that again, learn from history. I mean, that's the, the, just the truism of life, learn from history. So I don't know, five years ago or so, um, StubHub changed their mechanism of pricing and they went to all-in pricing. Uh, uh, a, a guy by the name of Chris Sakalakis uh, was then the president and and immediately the consumer said, we, we don't like this because your prices look higher than everybody else's. Even though that really wasn't true, they didn't understand that the message didn't come through. And um, really that was the catalyst that lit Vivid Seats on fire. 
So StubHub went down the path of all-in pricing, and all of a sudden, Vivid Seeds just exploded and ate market share. So I was very, very curious to see what Vivid would do here when StubHub bounced their pricing back up. Now, now, you know, a long time ago, StubHub charged 15%. When I started in the business, you paid 15%, and it was a reaction to to market forces by competing resale platforms that, that forced them to bring that down from 15% to 10%, uh, I don't know, five, six years ago. But I wanted to see what Vivid would do when StubHub bounced that price back up because I thought, well, StubHub's still moving $5 billion a year worth of tickets, give or take. You know, how is Vivid going to maximize this opportunity given what they learned last time and how fast they grew into the void? And uh, Vivid, you may know, has a new CEO that just came on. Right. Uh, Vivid just made the first acquisition I've seen of a secondary platform by another secondary platform buying Fan Exchange out of Canada. And, and so they've got all this market share. And, and what did they do? They raised their prices in lockstep. And I thought, wow, there is a blown opportunity because they could have eaten away StubHub's market share as brokers are going minus StubHub on their on their point of sale systems. And you know, I, I, I've heard of at least a hundred brokers uh, that have deleted StubHub from receiving their feeds. Um, you know, it, this this would have really inured to the benefit of Vivid, but instead they went for the extra margin. Now they went for less margin, and that's an interesting straddle. Well, StubHub raised their prices. X, we're going to do X minus because we still look better. But I wouldn't underestimate the SeatGeeks and the TickPicks and you know the other secondary platforms that are out there that still have lower fees that could now do to Vivid and StubHub what Vivid did to StubHub, and that is eat market share. Right. And and curiously, so far, Ticketmaster Resale hasn't done anything. They've just sat there. Um, and, and, you know, made no changes, which probably the smartest thing they could do. I mean, you know, if you want to be a welcoming platform, um, uh, open to allowing consumers to sell, you know, through the, you know, incentives that they let people resell their tickets or work with brokers as they've been doing with their programs, leave your fees alone, you know, and, and make more money because you're going to get more market share. Uh, very smart strategy on their part. So, uh, I, I just think that there's tremendous transition that's going on in the U.S. secondary market, and it's setting up very interestingly because between what you're seeing happen right now in the U.S. secondary market, what you're about to see with the, the sort of government FTC stuff in, in uh, June in D.C. poking at the edges of what's really the secondary market uh, and, and how the primary and the secondary market uh, interact, and the pressure that we're seeing in, in Canada, in the UK, and uh, across the EU right now, rules are starting to be set um, for global secondary market practices. And, and when you said at the top, you know, global consolidation, we have serious global consolidation going on. We have global consolidation in the secondary market. We have global consolidation in the primary market, we have global consolidation in all the promoters being bought up. You know, this is moving very, very fast. Uh, Live Nation announced, uh, I believe yesterday, they just appointed uh, the guy that was the head of Alibaba Music to be the chairman of their China division. I mean, 
China used to be a market nobody went to. Now Live Nation has a chairman of China and a guy of you know tremendous credibility within China. Right. These are these are big steps and big plays. Yeah, and it, it's going to have a really interesting repercussion because historically, like like if you said, you know, if it helps to be old older because so, you've seen a lot. When these consolidation deals are taking place, there's usually some really bad um, actions that happen for consumers. And that's, you know, and I think that's something everybody needs to pay attention to because, sure, I I saw, um, you know, again, Live Nation had really high revenues. A lot of people are having very good revenue. Um, But is the margin there or are they making money? And the answer in a lot of cases is the margins aren't staying as high or they're not making as much money or they're not making money, period. If you look at Live Nation and Ticketmaster, I don't think they've made money in a, in a while. And I think that you know just consolidating down um, to where it's just one business is not necessarily – doesn't bode well for consumers and it's going to have an impact on attendance and ticket sales because I think there's a breaking point and I think that's a trend that people have to be – aware of is the idea that consumer spending is is struggling because consumers don't have the the money to spend so the idea that we're going to continue to grow our businesses um, and consolidate down based and buy these businesses built on debt um, and then just refinance this thing through charging people more money or refinancing our debt I don't know if that's a solid strategy the same way I don't know how solid the strategy of Vivid Seats by just going and raising uh, prices almost in lockstep with StubHub so that they um, you know, maintain competitiveness with StubHub instead of eating uh, market share is wise. I think there's a different game afoot. And I think that this has to do with just the, you know, the first class I ever took when I went to college, which is economics. And it's a good old supply and demand. Um, so consumers are demand, right? They either want to see something or they don't. And promoters are supply. And and the thing that, that interferes with promoters' ability to make any supply-demand pricing decisions effectively is competition uh, for the acts. So if you get global consolidation of, of the supply of acts, you can probably acquire those acts more efficiently than you would if you had to bid against them in Australia and then in Germany and then in Japan. You know, if you can just make a single worldwide deal and be the only bidder because you're the only person with the capacity to deliver that worldwide deal, or there's only two of you, then I think your product costs are down and you can be responsive to what the consumers tell you they're willing to pay. Um, and so then you can market more like, you know, Levi's would market jeans, market by market, because you control your costs. Uh, I, I think there's been a lot of fluff the last couple of years where, you know, an, an act would do really well in one territory and they would lever that in a different territory and get a bidding war going. And, and who I think is going to be the losers in this is, is going to be the talent. I think talent is going to lose some of their leverage as they have less outlets to sell their tour to or through. Uh, ultimately, pricing control remains in the hands of the consumers for everything but the most absolutely can't miss uh, events. Uh, and I think you're starting to see that. This is the first year that Coachella didn't sell out weekend two. You could buy Coachella weekend two GA passes uh, until a couple of days before um, uh, 
the event. And, and I don't think they uh, actually have been clear or, or forthright with how many passes went unsold. But I can tell you, I was at Coachella all days, and there were markedly less people on the field in the second weekend than there were in the first. And if that thing had sold out, there'd be the same number. So, I mean, it was substantially different. So, if Coachella doesn't sell out, all right, there's your there's your canary. That's that's your consumers telling you, yeah, you know, Coachella uh, weekend one, which is the most important weekend for Coachella. Uh, it starts on a Friday. On Thursday, you could buy GA tickets for $0.60 cents on the dollar. You could buy VA, VIP tickets for $0.45 cents on the dollar. That's pretty interesting. Well, I think it, it highlights, you said it's a canary in the coal mine, and you know I think there's probably more than one canary in the coal mine because you can also look at, all you have to do is go to Twitter and look at the Empty Seats Galore Twitter, Twitter site, and you see Major League Baseball has to say awful attendance, I think is being generous thus far. I mean, I was looking at the Yankees Red Sox game last night in Boston. And um, if there were 15,000 people there, it was a lot. Um, and you know, that, that, that was a good, a well attended game. And I think we're seeing a lot of signaling from consumers that they're starting to become fed up with some of the practices that are going down. And I think that understanding that we can just throw the tickets out there with no kind of marketing budget or marketing thought put behind the things. It, it, you know, it's a thing of the past. Well, I, I'll give you one more. Um, what's starting to come out now, at least out here in California, uh, is, you know, and you know, I love to talk about the, the vagaries of the Taylor Swift tour that just took place. Um, in San Jose at Levi stadium, the stadium authority just had to admit that they were compelled to purchase 20,000 Taylor Swift tickets for her show there because the seltzer didn't meet the minimum guarantee. And so, uh, whereas I think she played two nights and on the first night, the stadium authority made a couple of million dollars. They mostly gave it back buying the 20,000 tickets they had to buy, uh, to, to hit the guarantee for the second night. Yeah, um, this Taylor yeah. Swift thing, I had, I've had, God, I don't know how many conversations, and I'm almost certain that as soon as we open the door on this Taylor Swift con- concert, I'm going to, my email box, my email box is going to be filled up, uh, my Twitter feed is going to be filled up, my, um, everything that any way anybody can contact me is going to be filled up with people telling me how wrong I am. Um, but it just, there's something that has not smelled right about it from the very beginning. Um, and having public accountability in the form of the San Jose of the commission for Levi stadium, um, was just kind of verifying what I think a lot of people thought, which was that, um, maybe the demand just really wasn't there. And that like some of these gimmicks and some of these tricks were burning out the fans. Right. And, you know, I'm going to be interested to see like next time she tries to go on tour, what happens. And I think that you're, you're not just Taylor Swift. You see it with a lot of tours, right? Because I remember what two was it two years ago, three years ago now, with Katy Perry, right? Her tour fell flat the same way, right? You see a lot of these big shows; they're not getting the same traction that they used to. Well, here I'll, I'll bring you into today's world. Today, this very day, um, uh, BTS uh, went on sale, uh, trying to push out some more of the tickets that they didn't probably sell for as platinums. Uh, at three of their shows. So that's a current tour of the hottest group in the world. So they're playing the Rose Bowl and uh, you know, 
couple other stadium-like things. Soldier Fest, the Roseville Soldier Field, and and uh, I think whatever the the Meadowlands or something in New Jersey. Yeah. And and you know they you couldn't get anywhere near that on sale. You couldn't get tickets. You know you had to go through you know every hurdle to get them, and you felt lucky if you paid five hundred dollars a ticket, but. Uh, maybe those tickets that they were asking a thousand dollars for, those are the ones that they're now trying to blow back out because the shows are coming right in May. Yeah. So, um, and, and, you know, and, there you go. It's, it's that opens a, that's an inter, you know, and that's an interesting thing because I know that you and I both will get like um, catch a little bit of flack for being close to the secondary market, but and I applaud the primary side for you know, trying to price competitively in the way that, you know, so they can capture it, right? The, the artists and the venues are taking a lot of risk, right? And if you don't need the secondary market to blow out your tickets, then you should maximize the revenue you make. Um, I think that's fantastic. But the thing is, is like, if you've been selling a bunch of $500 tickets under the platinum banner, right? And let's say you're selling um, and maybe rows 10 to 20 and you can't sell those first 10 rows at a thousand bucks and then you sell them for like 125 Rest assured that's going to have a consequence on your on being able to sell almost everything you do going forward because consumers are going to know about this. That word's going to get around and it's going to have backlash. And I, you know, I stand by that with Taylor Swift. I stand by that with BTS. I stand by that with everybody who's sitting there going, well, the season ticket's not dead um, in sports. It's it's just a true thing, right? It's maybe people don't put you know as much of a price tag on their head as others do, but it's still going to have a a consequence. Well, and and it's just a, such a simple idea, right? I mean, I grew up um, um, surrounded by enormously successful people, um, and and the lesson I always took from them is don't try to take the last dollar off the table. Just leave a little something. And, and the reason you leave a little something is you, you leave goodwill behind. You'll make that again, and you'll make it again and again. But if you try and get every single penny off the table, um, your Ebenezer Scrooge. No, nobody wants to deal with you. And, and, and there's no sympathy for you when things turn wrong. So and you can't price 15,000 seats in an arena. You can't price 90,000 seats in a stadium to perfection, ever. And, and, and your job isn't to do that. Your job is to sell all those tickets through so that the tour can proceed or make a decision whether or not to add a date. Uh, and, and if somebody else spotted, spotted some pricing anomaly, you know, okay, they, they made a few dollars or they lost a few dollars. And, you know, anybody in the secondary markets made a lot of buys that they thought were absolute winners and, and ate them. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. And I think uh, one of the things when you bring that up, right, because this is something that I talk about pretty regularly, is don't think of it as like you've lost a dollar, right? Think of it about about this way. That's a dollar either that you invested in marketing because now you have a hot show, right? You have a show that people want to go to. That might be worth the revenue, right, on its own. Or you have somebody else taking some of the marketing burden from you, reaching consumers and customers that you might not be able to reach uh, as effectively as they are. So don't look at it as like a loss. Look at it as like a win and say, well, look, 
if I'm going to have my tickets sell out so quickly, maybe I need to put a partnership in place with the secondary market where I collect some of that data so I can better target my marketing to begin with so I can get my tickets into the hands of those consumers or I can charge a better price for those consumers, right? Look at this as like market research or as like marketing dollars that you, you know that you can learn from them as opposed to somebody stealing something from you because it's going that attitude of somebody's always trying to steal from you or get out from under you is really, really a bad position to be in because it, again, is causing people to make bad decisions that are harming consumers and the consumers are turning their backs. So, so we, we agree probably, which is why we're out talking to the public now together, but you know, ultimately it comes down to a very, I think it's just a simple, simple concept. Bands, teams, markets, whether primary or secondary, are all in the business of selling something. And sales is an art, uh, but the, the decision makers are the consumers. And unless your planning starts with, how do you motivate those consumers, not once, but continuously, um, everything else fails. You could build the most attractive mousetrap, but if it doesn't catch any mice, you're dead. So, and I think, you know, that's, that's the piece that, that really is being left behind in this focus on, boy, we could have, we could have, we should have, if only, you know, this, this group wasn't interfering or that group wasn't messing with us or this technology wasn't in place or people weren't talking on Discord or, you know, there, there, there's a hundred conversations to have. If people but, weren't but using it, technology, Eric, if they just would like do things the way I want them to do, it would be so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> if everybody would just listen to me, would, my life would be easy. It would be so great. If, if only you would all listen to me all the time, it would be awesome. And you, you said it right. I, I, I mean, I've been playing for the during this podcast. I've been playing a little bit of devil's advocate and uh, trip, kind of trip you up. But we do agree on a lot. And let's um, let's spend a, a second or two more uh, pimping our uh, our events. Um, we're you know, like I said at the start, it's May eighth in New York City. Um, Eric, you want to give everybody a little bit of overview of what we're going to do? We're going to talk about how how we think we can help the way you think. We're going to talk about how tickets are being sold, maybe how tickets could be sold better. We're going to be available in an intimate space for you guys to push us and challenge us and to tell us where we're wrong or to tell us where you think we've missed something. And, and we'll talk it out together because ultimately our objective is to make this industry stable and efficient and effective long-term. Uh, I think we both agree that we, we love live events. We love crowds. We love to see um, teams and bands and, and performers supported. And the only way to do that is to make sure that all the systems that supply that work. So, uh, and, and also, you know, uh, We'll be there to, to you know, to, to probably tell a joke or two. You never know. I, I seem to get in trouble anytime I have a live mic. I, I'm known to tell a joke or two. That's absolutely true. Um, and, yes, I, I, and I want to highlight, you know, the, the starting point of my philosophy on all these things because we come at the same problem from two different points, which is, like, you are focused on strategy and I'm focused on how to make money in most cases, which they both – play in the same sandbox. It's not like you're thinking about a strategy to lose money. You're always thinking about a strategy to b get bigger market share. But 
my philosophy since I started out in nightclubs back around, I think, 1994, 95, something like this, was that if I can get you in the door, I can monetize you and I can get you to thank me for it and then come back. And that's what I want to see from like concerts and theater and sports and everything because I know that if I treat you well, I can get probably more money out of you and get you to come back. And that highlights what you're talking about, which is stability. Right. And it makes security. Right. It gives the, the acts and it gives the venues. Um, it gives them a chance to be sustainable. Right. And there's so much volatility in the world, especially in the world of business, that it sucks to be in that position. And I, I know and you agree with me that it doesn't have to be that way. It just means taking a step back and coming at the problem with a little more thoughtfulness. And, and the only other thing I would add to that is we are at the tail end of a very, very long economic boom. And so we also need to contemplate as all booms end, and this one may at some point, you know, how, how it is you're building your relationship with your consumers so that even as money gets a little tighter on their end, you can still get them to come out. So uh, that, and that that's, being that's said, the table right. is set. You, ha- you have to be building a relationship that's going to be sustainable, not for just one sale, but for 20 sales. Um, when I coach people about consulting, I tell them, like, it's a relationship business no matter what you're selling. And you always have to be thinking about the fourth sale at the start. And that fourth sale from the start is someone I stole from, like, somebody much smarter than me. Um, but it, it's just true. And as this economic cycle um, slows down or ends, you're going to find that it's going to be much tougher to build relationships starting then when you should have been building them now. And the, the time to start was yesterday, but the next best time is today to start building relationships with your fans, understanding what they want, what they desire, how you can create, provide value for them, how you can engage them in a journey that will uh, benefit both you and them um, and how to, con- you know, and how to con- create a connection between them and the events and the shows that not just me and Eric or you know is true, but that the spending data shows because people are spending billions and billions and billions. It's on its way to trillions of dollars on live experiences. So to not do the best job we can of capturing those opportunities, uh, it's just dumb. It's, there's no other way around it. Well, I think I think we agree. Um, <laughs> I, I hope we get to meet some of our friends out at the On Sale Academy events in New York and L.A. and D.C. And, and I really look forward to continuing the conversation both on the podcast with you, Dave, and live and in person with with people. Uh, I invite you to come out and, 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 and poke at us, and, and let's see if we can't solve these problems together and make this industry work better. Yeah, so I'm going to put a link for the uh, New York City event in – the show notes that are going to go up in just a few moments. The LA on sale date will go on sale. Academy date will go live probably tomorrow. It's going to have a slightly, it'll be a slightly different from the New York one. So there's something different. And then just to highlight the DC event, because it's going to be entirely unique. It's going to be completely focused on the FTC meeting. And so on the 10th, the day before we're going to do, uh, you know, a, 
full-on session about talking points, uh, under, making sure you, you're ready, understanding who the players are that are going to be there, understanding some of the angles that you can take to make sure you get your point across. Um, and we'll, you know, do some networking and, so, you know, probably have some uh, some wine or and dinner together so we everybody gets a chance to meet each other in a less formal setting. And then on the 12th, we're going to recap. And we're going to go through and we're going to say, try to figure out some actions that we can take, um, debrief everybody on what's happening, um, what had happened, what happened, um, you know, what's next, all of those kind of important things. And so that's going to be specifically unique to the DC event. Um, and that all that stuff you'll be able to find at on sale Academy when it goes live in the next several days. And, uh, I'll also post it on my website and I'll make sure that it gets up on Twitter and LinkedIn and, uh, everywhere else that you might find stuff from me. Um, Eric, where else can we point people for, so they can find you? Can they? Where, what's your Twitter Twitter handle these days? My Twitter handle is Eric S. Fuller, S. Like Sam. So you can find me on Twitter, and uh, you can find me at Eric at FullerFacts.com. Eric E R I C. So, uh, so you can email me, or you can find me on Twitter, or or you go to On Sale Academy. There'll be links there. Um, um, so, uh, or just come out and see us. You'll see us, and uh, you'll see us where we are. The, the the best thing to do would be able to to come back. You know, to come see us at one of the events. Um, I I think it's going to be exciting and really great because you're not just going to have the opportunity to learn from us, but you're going to have the opportunity to learn from all the people that are there as well. It's going to be a really kind of roll up your sleeves uh, day where we're going to come up with action plans and ideas and strategies and tactics that you can take back to your office immediately and put to work, right? Because our, our biggest goal in doing these things is to help you think more thoroughly and more completely about how you're running your business and how you're approaching your customers and how you're marketing and selling your tickets. So we're, we're the, the, all these events are going to be really, really action oriented and it's going to be great to be able to, you know, not only work with us, but work with all the people in the room um, because I think there's going to be a great opportunity for some really exciting ideas to come out of that. Perfect. Look forward to it. Thanks, Dave. It's been always fun to be on the, on the podcast with you. Hey, I would thank you for your, but this is like a regular thing. So I, I, I'll just say until next time. Okay. But I want you to know it five times. I get a jacket Saturday night live has created that, that protocol. So this is three. I'll have, yeah. Three. Well, three is three. Um, so five, I'll, I will have to come up with some special award. Um, it's absolutely mm-hmm. true. Um, I don't know. Maybe it'll be like for you, it'll be like some special IPA from DC or something. I, I don't know. There we go. I'll take it. <laughs> Eric, man. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Once again, I want to thank Eric Fuller for talking on the business of fun podcast. I know that this was a special edition, uh, built around the on sale Academy. Um, again, those dates are going to be May 8th in New York City, uh, June 5th in Los Angeles, and D- um, in D.C. on June 10th and 12th. To find out more, we are, I'm going to put a link to the New York City uh, event in the show notes. And to get information about the other two events, just email me, Dave, at DaveWakeman.com. Those events will be going live uh, with sales pages and things uh, and more information um, over the weekend. But you can email me at Dave at DaveWakeman.com. The New York City link will be in the show notes. Um, Again, May 8th, June 5th, and June 10th and 12th. As always, I want to thank you for listening to the Business Fun Podcast. To find out what I'm up to, 
besides the On Sale Academy. You can visit me on my website. It's www.davewakeman.com. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at David Wakeman. Again, always going to ask for it. If you know the guy who has the at Dave Wakeman Twitter handle, see if you can hook me up. I would love to have that. Uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, you know, I'm all on all the social platforms. You can find me pretty easily. If you like what I'm doing with the podcast, I would love it if you do a couple things for me. Number one, just share it with somebody you think would find this thing valuable. That would be great. Number two, if you're so inclined, subscribe. And number three, leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get the podcast. It's really helpful to help people discover the podcast, learn about the content we're delivering, and it helps get, encourage me to continue to deliver it for you. Um, and as always, I want to thank my friends at Booking Protect, um, the global leaders in refund protection. Um, check out Kat Spencer. She is a new board member of Intex. She's doing some great work there. Uh, look up Simon Mab on the uh, LinkedIn and on Twitter. Um, they do great work. They provide the most comprehensive refund protection product anywhere in the world. And it creates a point of differentiation for your venue and for your events compared to other events. And it gives people certainty. It helps customize their buying experience. And for you and your organization, it does create a brand new stream of revenue that you can apply to any number of ways. It's incredibly valuable. Check them out, www.bookingprotect.com. Like I mentioned at the start, check out the blog. Uh, we, there's an ebook there about customer service in the digital age that I did in partnership with uh, Kat and uh, Kelly from Future Ticks. It's That's a great resource to have for you. We're doing more stuff about driving sales through the bottom of the sales funnel, especially digitally. Um, we're going to start doing a whole bunch of more content that's going to help you figure out how to get more customers and create more revenue for your organization. So it's going to be really, really exciting. So make sure you Go to www.bookingprotect.com and bookmark the blog. Um, you know, anything you need and want to learn more about Booking Protect, you know, make sure you email them at info at bookingprotect.com. And until next time, I'll talk to you soon. Take it easy.